0: This song is an open letter to my fan. Electric Candy, in association with Channel 4.5 Productions, presents Assault and Flattery with Joel Damron. Dear or glasses, I see all the black Joel. players wear at NBA press conferences, which Hello and welcome my once again to another episode by by of Assault and Flattery. I am your host, Joel Damron. Uh... Today's episode is going to be very interesting, uh, very thought-provoking, and could cause some arguments, but then again, doesn't everything I talk about tend to have those qualities? Um, So today's episode is going to be about, uh, today's episode is called Art and Racism, and it's not about art and racism in the way that I'm linking those two together. It's about art. And then there's a second part that's about racism. Uh, I'm, t- I'm discussing the, uh, the, the topics uh, separately, although they have a small correlation in, in a general way, not in a specific way. Um, so art. The reason I want to talk about art is because there seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding by all people who I, by most people that I tend to interact with uh, on what it is I'm doing exactly artistically, um, with all of my art, whether it's my uh, films or, or, or my photography or, or my digital art or whatever, there seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding of what it is I'm doing, which, uh, is not a surprise because, uh, most of the people I've ever met in my life tend to un- misunderstand me completely, regardless of whether it's a piece of art or not. Um, so I, I just wanted to talk about that. This all started with the film Mother. Um I mean it started before that because uh you know we me and <clears throat> me and Brooke go see movies regularly and uh my good friend Nick Growall who is also a filmmaker um and musician he uh he has a a uh, channel on 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 YouTube uh I think it's still called uh, I don't I th- I think it's called uh always shoot first maybe or maybe it's just under Nick Growall I don't know but he's also in Bluff he was also in Hitters he's been in a bunch of my stuff um he's an actor and uh, and a filmmaker and uh, musician and uh, he has a little thing on his channel there where he reviews movies him and and uh, Taryn Sherwood, and uh, you know they have random guests like uh, his brother Isaac, like like Nick's brother Isaac, or or Victoria, or whoever. It, it, random people come on there all the time. Uh, I've never been invited on the show. Uh, as a filmmaker, I've never been invited on the show. But uh, I'm not offended by that because I understand why Nick doesn't invite me on the show. I'm a person who always tends to be uh, controversial and upsetting to people all the time. So that's why I'm not on the show. Me and Brooke haven't been on the show. Um, But I always get frustrated. Me and Brooke get frustrated watching their reviews of everything because Nick always seems to have a legitimate review and perspective of the film that they watched. And um, he understands it and understands why it did things. And, like uh, me and Brooke, he tends to like films that actually have some artistic merit to them and that are, are interesting, you know. Um, but Taron seems to be the type of person um, who is representative of the mainstream film-going audience. Um, and he's not... Believe me, he's he's Taron is not the worst of the mainstream film-going audience because the worst of the mainstream film-going audience are people who like... You know, who just loved The Conjuring 2 and loved Annabelle and uh, loved Annabelle uh, Creation and all these stupid fucking movies that are terrible. The worst of the mainstream film going audience are, are people who actually like the Fast and the Furious movies. I don't know what's wrong with these people. Um, I think that it's because they're actually fucking dumb um, because they're actually not intelligent they seem to be slightly below average when it comes to intelligence and IQ. And and I think that's that's why. I think that's why they like those stuff. There's There can't be any other reason why they would actually like that stuff. But Terran seems to represent kind of the middle class of the mainstream film-going audience, which is they like big blockbusters. They like movies that are really cool, um, like the Star Wars. They're suckers for the Star Wars stuff. They're giant fanboys of the superhero movies and the star wars stuff and they they will sit there and critique every little detail of a of the star wars stuff and 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 the superhero stuff and they like movies like that they like movies that are generally lovable by the mainstream audiences the you know the Steven Spielberg movies and shit like that um but they they don't understand art house and they don't understand um what I like to call the truer meaning of cinema and the truer meaning of, of what film is supposed to be. They don't appreciate, they don't understand the art of filmmaking. They, uh, claim to understand it, claim to appreciate it, but they don't, um, get it. It, It's, it's, it's like they say they get it, but they clearly don't get it because if they got it, then they wouldn't have the response that they have. Um, and I know this is sounds like I'm generalizing. It sounds like I'm being a douchey, but I'm not folks. Um, and that's what I wanted to talk about is that uh, people, uh, as long as I've been doing artistic endeavors, which I've been a creative my whole life. Uh, I mean, I've been drawing since I was a little kid. Uh, and so art has always been there and been a part of my life, but the part that's mattered is the part since I left high school and I came to college at Murray and I left there and then I came to College of Southeastern. Since I've came to Southeastern, there, there, and there's always been this, the, uh, before this, there was this clash and misunderstanding with people not liking me and people always assuming that I'm being crazy and mean and douchey and pushing boundaries and being controversial on purpose and all this stuff. And before I started doing art, it was just I. I there were these things going on inside my head uh, that I was feeling and understanding that people around me who are just normal people are not understanding. And I'm not faulting these people for being normal people. I'm not saying they're bad because they're normal. I'm just being truthful that they're normal people. And I, by all accounts, am not just not a normal person. I'm odd and different and weird, and that's for many reasons. There's many reasons why people are odd and different and weird. Part of it is because I'm a creative. Um, I'm a, uh, I'm a creative person who who's an artist. Part part of it is because um, uh, I have an IQ that is um, uh, higher than normal. I, will, I guess I'll just I'll, I'll put it that way. I'm not trying to be douchey here. I'm just being honest. Um, uh, part of it is for uh, many other reasons. My parents... And the, and, and the reason my IQ is above normal is not because I'm just a, a brilliant, amazing genius or anything. It's just because it's just there. That's just... It's in the genes. That's the cards I got dealt with in life. Both my parents are, are very smart people um, who went to college and really enjoyed studying and learning and they're bookworms and they read books all the time and they're just very smart intellectual people and they always have been and I was an only child so my only friends in life because I was so weird were my parents for the longest time so I watched the things they watched and I did the things they did and I got explicitly taught by them what culture was and what was important and what was relevant and what was really good and important, what was really good, what was important and then what was just not any good. So I learned that from the very beginning. Like my dad started off teaching me, showing me classical music and stuff like that. And sometimes I thought it was weird. Uh, I had friends that thought it was weird but now I realize no, it wasn't weird. It was awesome. I love classical music, you know. My parents started me off with with, with classical music and the Beatles, and like Bob Dylan and '60s folk stuff. That like stuff that's art. All basic. And my mother was really into art, and and I'm and I mean like art as in what we all consider to be art, what normal people consider to be art, like paintings and stuff. My mother was really into that stuff. Um really into French things and stuff. So like I, I couldn't, it's just there. I can't help it. I couldn't have changed it. It's that's just what was going to happen based on the fact that I inherited their genes and inherited their tastes and stuff. I was just going to be a little more intelligent and a little more culturally and artistically aware than most people. Now me growing into an adult and fully coming to the realization that I'm an artist has, has increased that even more. See, before I came to Murray, before I came to Southeastern, I was in high school and stuff like that. And like I said, I was always interested in creative endeavors. In high school, I did a lot of music. I was in a lot of bands, um, not real bands, but like people who thought they wanted to start a band, you know, the old high school thing. And it was annoying to me. Because I've always been a person who puts out an an extremely high amount of creative projects. I'm just constantly always working on creative projects. And even if I'm not physically working on a creative project, my mind is working on a creative project. It's spinning around certain topics, thinking about them, constantly knowing, well, we can use that for this and this for that, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's just how my mind works. That's how I go 24-7. So I've never had a problem putting out very high amounts of creative output. Um, So it always made me mad in high school when I wanted to start a band with people. And they were like, yeah, we'll start a band because they thought a band was cool. And they they sat around and they smoked cigarettes and they thought a band was cool. And then like you go there and they don't really want to try. They haven't written anything. And I remember I had a friend named CR early on in high school that I used to go hang out with. And he, he liked to smoke pot a lot, so we'd go over there, and we'd hang out, and he'd smoke pot. I didn't, because I was still scared of it at the time. He'd smoke pot, and then he'd we'd go into the his, his living room, and and we'd play his drum set set up, amps, big amps. His dad played. He was a musician, so we had all kinds of... We'd just sit there on Saturdays, and we'd play for like six or seven hours, just play constantly music coming up with stuff jamming which is one of my favorite things in the world just jamming working out stuff and it was great um and i still to this day love stuff like that it doesn't happen very often but i love stuff like that but he was the only person i knew that was like no let's do it um let's go so, uh, that was great, but I didn't fully realize that I was an artist until after high school, after I went to college at Murray, cause I got into acting at Murray and I really liked it and, and throughout high school and at Murray, I had started writing, um, At first in high school, it began as just regular writing, like, like I was writing literature, like novel, like fiction. And then it turned into me becoming obsessed with movies. And then I realized, and then I, because I was in plays first, I've always been in plays. And I was in plays and I was like, well, what if I write a play? How's a play written? Then I figured out how play was written. And I started writing, trying to write plays. But then I got really into movies really quickly. And then I was like, well, what does the script look like? What is a movie script? And I was like, oh, it's very similar to a play. So I started writing movie scripts. So my penchant for having long, exhausted dialogue scenes that are just dialogue comes from play. Like people think it's because I like to talk a lot and I have a lot to say and blah, 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 blah. And first of all, if you want to be a screenwriter or a filmmaker and you don't have anything to say, then you just need to stop because that is the first rule. You got to have something to say before you even sit down. Like, so fuck off. First of all, with that. Second of all, I don't write long winded, long scenes where people talk because I just love dialogue because I love to talk. No, I do it because I'm used to the play world where it's basically talking the whole time. That's the way a play is structured. That's, I also have a, a tendency to film that way, too, where I film in zero-point perspective where it's like you're looking at a stage and everything happens on the stage. And when you cut to one person's close-up, it's that same framing from that same side. It's just closer to them. And that's because I, I'm used to stage. I like the way a stage is set up. I like the way plays are set up. See, and the thing is that my my part of the problem is my whole life, people have always just assumed I'm an amateur and I do things because I'm an amateur, number one, art- artistically. They assume I do things because I'm an amateur, like having that zero-point perspective framing, Like I assume I do it because I'm an amateur and I don't know what I'm doing. And then my content is they always assume is offensive and and, and controversial because I'm trying to be offensive and controversial. Um, And again, they have all of that wrong. That's not what I'm doing at all. I, I like that framing because I like the way that a play looks. I like that when you look up on a stage, you have a flat surface that's perfectly balanced and the actors come in and out of that framing and then go back out and then they sit there and talk because there's something pure and beautiful about two people talking and being able to express a point clearly through their dialogue only, being able to progress action and to move pacing forward just through dialogue. That's 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 beautiful to me. It's a, There's a purity there to me. That's why I do it. It's not because I'm an amateur and I don't know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. That's just how I want to do it. And so I used to, when I got into uh, Southeastern, I started to fully realize after a while that I was, that I was an artist. And I didn't think that I would make films when I was at Murray because I just, or high school. Cause I thought, wow, that's just too hard. I mean, that's, you know, filmmaking is a very specific process. You got to, have film and you, you cut stuff together, literally you cut it. And I was like, I I can't, I can't do that. I'm not skilled enough to do that, you know, because I was used to me playing music and playing guitar where it was like, I can pretty much pick up any instrument I want to and play it and get something out of it and write a song. That's not difficult for me. Just like, it's not difficult for me now as an artist to find inspiration. I don't, I don't need to go somewhere to find inspiration. I just do it because it's the inspiration is already there. It's all in my head. It's been planned for a while. It just comes out. And sometimes I can't stop it from coming out. Um, so like that, I just, I just do that. I've never had a problem with that, but it's like, it's like playing guitar where it's like I, I play guitar. I can pick up any instrument I want, get something out of it, write a song and play, but I'm not a very skilled guitarist because To be a very skilled guitarist, you have to spend long amounts of time playing guitar and doing scales and practicing and practicing and practicing. I used to read about people like Slash, who's one of my favorite guitarists, who literally started playing guitar on a guitar that had one string. And he just played it. He was so obsessed and enamored with the guitar. He just played it over and over and over. And And I've never found my creative tools to be I've never been that obsessed about creative tools. I become more obsessed about the creative thing itself though. But what about the project I'm working on? What is the process and what does this mean? And what do I want it to mean? Like I, I hone in on, I, I, I hone in on that. And that's not Honus, not Honus Wagner. I hone in on that. And that's what I focus on. And like, so like I've never become a very skilled guitarist. I'm okay. As a guitarist, I can play, pretty much whatever i want i couldn't fill in for kirk hammett and metallica like i can't i'm not good enough that i can just sit there and shred i would love to be on the level that steve ray vaughn was on that always amazes me thinking about steve ray vaughn and just watching him do a song like lenny or something where you can tell that guy is in the fucking zone he's not even on like you watch steve ray vaughn play uh lenny or uh not lenny what is that one song called little wing you watch him play his instrumental version of little wing and and you that man is not on the fucking planet when that's happening he's not even here when that is happening he is in another place in a zone somewhere off where he is just fucking it's just pouring out like the the guitar playing is just fucking pouring out of his body and his fingers and he's just like losing it he's gone And I love that. I wish I could do that, but I can't because I'm not skilled enough as a guitarist that I could just free flow and just go. I can't, I can't do that. The place where I can do that, where I just close my eyes and I just go. And then I wake up, I wake up two hours later and I'm like, oh shit, what just happened? And then I look and it's just this huge, giant thing. I get like that with words, with writing. Um, So I can write like that. I can just get in a zone and fucking lose my mind and three hours later I've written a 90 page script. I could do shit like that. You know, I can write a full length thing in three days if I wanted to. Or I can just be writing literary style like I'm writing a piece and just go and it just comes out and it's just done and it's just all these things and it's intricate and it's all this verbose language that's uh, and it sounds like a, 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 a just a, a random thing where i just threw shit in there like it's like i'm looking at a fucking um not Rembrandt who's the fucking guy pollock it looks like i'm looking at a jackson pollock painting where it's just splattered stuff and you're like well, those words don't even make sense together but if you sit there and actually broke them down uh, as an english person who knows this stuff and looked you'd like oh no this doesn't make sense this is intricate i understand what this is saying this is great this is beautiful and i've had and and i and the only reason i can say that is because i've had english teachers do that i've had english teachers say that to me and realize and look at it and go, oh, this is wow. This is no, this is good. Uh, you should keep doing this. And, you know, so like I, I'm believe me, I'm a person that if I wasn't good at something, I'd stop doing it because it'd be a waste of time. I'm not going to keep doing it. That's why I don't play guitar as much as I should. That's why I basically only play guitar to write. I I try to play guitar a little bit every day just to play a little bit so that my fingers aren't all jacked up and I can, because guitar is like that. If you don't play guitar every day for a little bit, you, you lose your ability to play as smoothly or as well and so I can play what I want to play as well as I want to play it and I can play numerous different styles and I can come up with stuff without trying that hard. It's not hard for me. But I'm not that's not my art. I'm not i de- I'm simply using that as a tool to construct something bigger. So I'm not like super skilled at guitar. And so I looked at filmmaking that way. I was like, well, I'd have no idea how to fucking use a camera, much less a film camera. I remember my dad talking about having a having a high eight millimeter camera when he was a kid. I think it was a high eight millimeter. But he used to film stuff with a kid and then watch it because he had a projector. And I was just like, as a kid, I was just like, what the fuck is that? I don't care about that shit. What does that mean? But thinking about that now, I'm like, holy shit. My dad actually had an 8 millimeter Super 8 camera and he fucking filmed stuff in the woods and then re-watched it on an actual film projector in his room? What the fuck? Like, I just can't even imagine that now. That's mind-blowing to me. But... I didn't think I could do any of that because I'm like, you got to record sound, you got to, you have all this shit, and I know how hard it is just to record music, so I can't make a film. Plus, you got to be in Hollywood, you got to have money. I'm like, I, you know. Then I got to Murray and I started focusing more on acting because I was doing plays and I was starring in everything that we did. So I started focusing on my acting more and I wrote on the side. Then I got to Southeastern and they had a video production class and i took it and i realized oh shit you can you can <laughs> you can make films pretty easy now there's digital cameras and camcorders and you you just you, the where do i cut it together oh i can cut it together on movie maker oh wow well, this is now we're on to something here and then i started learning about editing and then then i started then i started really honing in and what i'm doing now you know really honing in on how cinematography works how a frame works, how you put stuff in the frame, how things. And and of course, me naturally being a creative and being an artist, I just, even if you told me nothing and I started framing something or took a picture, I would probably frame it better than a normal person just because I have an eye for seeing how things are laid out and put together and the symmetry of stuff. That's just naturally there because I'm creative But, like, actually fully learning that and going into it and digging deep. Like, I'm an autodidact in that way that if I'm like, oh, it's time to learn something, I just jump right in and you can't stop me. And I'm, you know, you'll come back two weeks later and I'm going to know shit that you've never even heard of. And again, this isn't me just bragging or being douchey. I'm just being honest here. And that's the thing is that people... I've always thought then my writing and now my writing and now my art, they always think I'm trying to be controversial. I'm trying to push the limit, trying to push the edge and be, be controversial and push limits and be a douche. I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing that at all. And that's not what I'm trying to do at all. I, 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 you, you don't understand when I, and that's why it's so hard for me. Like when I make a film, When I'm writing a film and making a film and shooting a film, every detail is on purpose. Like I've literally planned out every single detail. And I don't mean in the typical way that, well, this is my shot list and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Sometimes I don't even make a shot list at all because it's in my head. I know what I'm going for. But like, no, I mean, when I write the script, sorry, when I write the script, I'm putting the, the shot details in the script. I'm putting the music cues in the script. Uh, everything is going in the script. The script is the Bible. And I remember, I remember people because it's a complete vision in my head before it hits the paper, so, like, but I remember like turning in my script to people that have worked in the industry before and then like sending me a first note, which is just like, well, your script's not formatted correctly. So, uh, you might want to work on it. And I'm just like, motherfucker, I know it's not formatted correctly. You don't think I know that? I'm not a fucking amateur. I know it's not formatted correctly. I'm not sending it to you to format it, I'm sending it to you to read. I don't plan on selling it. I don't want anyone else to make it. I'm making it. I don't need to format it correctly. It's for me and me only. The actors need the dialogue. I need the rest of that. It's for me. I'm shooting it. I don't give a shit if it's formatted correctly. I'm not here to format correctly. I'm here to make a goddamn film. You know, just let the artist make the art. Don't tell him how to make it and say he's not making it right. So, like, that's people of all... I I do things exactly the way I want them because that's how I want them. And it's all on purpose and it's all incredibly detailed. And the more mature I've gotten as an artist, the more detailed it becomes. Like Bluff. Bluff is super detailed. It's the most detailed script I've even came I've ever written. Like it's down to like the words that are set up. Like like I didn't write bluff in the way that I wrote hitters, where it was just shit tons of dialogue all over the place. I kept it extremely sparse. The dialogue is is very basic, but it's extremely precise to where the words that are said are said blatantly that way on purpose because that's how they need to be said for the story. That's how they need to be said for the psychology behind the story. And that's how they need to be said for the deeper meaning that's even behind everything else. And they need to be said because... The film itself is part of its part of its key elements is like strategy and precise strategy and manipulation. And so each word is there because it manipulates the viewer in a certain way. Each shot is there because it manipulates the viewer in a certain way. The music is there because it manipulates the viewer in a certain way because that's one of the key elements of the film because that leads to the bigger overarching meaning behind the entire film. And and people don't understand that. They just think I'm pushing the edge, I'm just being controversial, and the thing is I'm not. I'm not doing I'm not trying to push any boundaries. I'm just trying to be truthful. I'm just trying to be real and do something as real and honest and truthful as possible. And and see The thing about the truth is that it's uncomfortable. 99.9% of the time, the truth is always going to be uncomfortable. It's always going to be inconvenient. It's always going to be painful. Now, me personally, as a person who... You know, as a person who lost their son and, and, and literally not just lost their son, but literally had to hold their son, why he left the earth and died and just sitting there holding him. Like, you know, this is the type of shit you see in war. This is the type of shit that people who go to war see and come back from and are fucked up for the rest of their life. Like, I could have lost my son and been destroyed for the rest of my life because he's the only kid I had and with the way things are going with my health might be the only child I actually have genetically. I think we can fix it. I think it's it's fine. We'll probably fix it, but like I may not have another one for a long time. So there's this long gap. I, I had to make all the changes and do all of the things that a person has to do internally and psychologically to become a parent and then I realized the full beauty of all of those things, of becoming a parent, of being a parent and having a child, having offspring. And I finally st- I started to fully embrace it and accept it and understand it. And then he died. And he didn't just die, but they had to keep him alive with machines. And I had to make the call to let him go ahead and die. I had to make the call for the mercy to be extended to let him go ahead and leave this earth when i wanted more than anything for him to stay and i had to hold him so when that happens and then 2 years later your mother dies in the same exact way and you have to make the same exact call again your mother who you were actually very close to when other people aren't close to their mother when that's not a normal thing because it's an uncomfortable when once again Honest things, open things, truthful things are uncomfortable for most people. They're awkward. So people avoid them. I I don't. I'm always a person that's like, eh, not cares if it hurts? Because I understand that there's growth there coming at the end of that. There's growth as a person, and there's growth psychologically, and there's growth in knowing yourself, and you can't just ignore it and hope it doesn't happen and try to be as comfortable as possible. But... The point is with what happened with my son and then two years, two years later with my mother and then three years later or two years later with my grandpa, the same exact way. Once again, only I didn't make the call. The family did. But the same thing again, you know, um, well, I didn't know the family didn't make the call when the same exact thing he passed away in the night uh, at the house. And it was a very odd situation, and I can only imagine how incredibly strange it was for my grandmother and for my aunt who were both there. It must have just been a very terrifying thing. Um, I've also experienced moments where my mother's blood sugar got so low that she just passed out. But her eyes were still open, and she was still conscious, but she couldn't say anything or move or hear anything. And she's just sitting there, and we don't know what's happening. And we have to call the 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 emergency people. Like I've also experienced situations like that with my mother before my son died, before I had my son. So you know, if I was going to be a normal person, if I was going to be like normal people are, then I. Uh, if I if I accepted that as my existence, that I was just going to be a normal, regular person, and I was going to sweep my emotions under the rug and ignore things and not try, not try to, uh, to to fully lean into stuff because they were uncomfortable or because they were weird, I wouldn't be alive right now. I would have committed suicide by now. I'd be all fucked up, living on the street or some shit like that, or on drugs, because the the shit that I've experienced in my life, just in the last six or seven years, is nuts. But that's what life is. That's what that's what that's what life can be. It can be that nuts. And I understand that. And 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 the reason I only reason I make it through all of this as a person is because I keep my eye focused on the fact that there is a truth and there is a is a is a real thing that's going on. And it's not any of this. It's not any of this bullshit that we do every day. And so When I live that existence and I try to tell people, hey, like, you know, let's focus on this. Let's hone in on that doesn't mean anything. That's dumb. It's bullshit. It's stupid. People get offended. They get upset. They get uncomfortable. They think I'm pushing limits. They think I'm pushing boundaries. It's not about any of that. It's not about that at all. You think I'm pushing boundaries, you think I'm being controversial, I'm not, I'm just demanding excellence, I'm trying to tell you to be a better human being, to be a better person, to have a better existence, okay, there's a key to all of this, and I'm not going to totally get into it, but, you know, this this shit that we live every day doesn't, it's not real. It's a reality that we've created and manufactured. It doesn't exist. It's all bullshit. So the fact that we spend our lives consuming all of it and engulfed with it and complaining and getting upset and letting it control us mentally and psychologically and emotionally, the fact that we even run on emotions anyway instead of logic is just stupid. It's stupid. It's ignorant because you're allowing yourself to be in a place that is so vulnerable that if something happened to you like happened to me, you'd be ruined for the rest of your life. And and the whole theme of my entire art as a person, as an artist, is that I'm trying to get you out of that. I'm trying to push you to a level that is beyond that to where you're actually being a person and actually existing and actually experiencing life as what it is. So yes, when, when that happens, it seems like I'm pushing you. It seems like I'm pushing boundaries. It seems like I'm doing something controversial and it's and then and, and, and that makes sense because it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, you don't wanna feel that way. You don't wanna think about those things. You don't wanna to have to you don't wanna to have to talk about you don't wanna to have to talk about what it means when a black man who's a professional athlete kneels during the national anthem. It, you you just wanna to jump to the emotional conclusion that, well, he's disrespecting our flag and our national anthem. That's 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 just distasteful. It's awful. I don't like it. You don't wanna to have to stop and think and understand and realize that the national anthem itself was a racist song because it praised the blood of slaves hitting the ground in the battlefield. It talked about slaves trying to escape and be free. Human beings who were enslaved and owned by other human beings who were a different race because they were thought to be inferior. Those people who escape that, would not escape death. And by God, they would die at some point on the battlefield. And how glorious is that? That's what the entire second verse or third verse of the national anthem is about. But we don't sing that at the beginning of a football game. And if you had to think about that, if you had to think about the national anthem wasn't written because we won a battle when we shouldn't have won. It was written when we were getting our asses handed to us by the British and we lost. And we were trying to write a song that pumped us back up so we could maybe win. When when you when you understand that that's what the national anthem is about. It's not, it's not about being strong and being free. It's about that. When you realize that the 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 American flag is not just a symbol of America, but it's a symbol of everything that America has been, which is that it was a group of people who rebelled against their government and started a new country and in the process of that killed almost 95 or killed 95 percent of the people who were actually American and lived here first that so it, see it's uncomfortable to think about those things. it's inconvenient because that's the truth and when you when you understand the truth, well, then it's kind of hard to care that somebody kneeled during that, isn't it? But see, your 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 emotions don't want to let you think that; they don't want you to, to to let you understand that. And and that's the thing that brings us to the racism part of this. But before we get into that, I just, you know, I want people to understand that that's not why I make art. I don't make art because I'm pushing boundaries artistically. When I make a film. <laughs> I'm not doing anything that's new, okay? I, I know, like, I'm not a person who thinks they're the greatest thing in the world. Artistically, I'm not doing anything that's new. The ideas that I'm presenting to you <clears throat> about the falseness of reality as we know it, is, those aren't new ideas. These are ideas that have existed for a long time. Like, this is an idea that's existed since Plato, like that's the part about it that's funny is I' that what I'm presenting through my art, <clears throat> the constant theme <clears throat> of all my art thus far, when I was writing satire to now when I'm writing actual drama, that that theme has existed since Plato, Plato's allegory of the cave, is that. It's about existence. Like I'm not saying anything that's new. And even artistically, when I do things, I'm not doing something that's new. I'm using imagery and I'm using uh, ways of shooting and organizing that I've seen in other films that I felt worked, that I felt would work for this. I'm 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 not <laughs> inventing something. I'm not a brilliant genius. And the only reason I'm keep pushing that message is because. Even though that was invented with Plato way back before any of us were here, before America existed, people didn't get it then, and they still don't get it now. They still don't understand it now. That's the part that's just sad and and discouraging about the whole thing is that I'm pushing a message that hasn't been gotten in the last 3,000 years. So... (laughs) Uh, my only hope is that I can keep pushing it and maybe more people will get it. There's a there are people that get it, but they're a major- they're, they're a minority and the vast majority is still living their day to day like like that's their existence. like this is just what matters. you know And so that's what I'm trying to push. That's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make you people be better people. I'm trying to make you be more full people more real people more complete human beings i'm not trying to do anything that hasn't been done before i'm not trying to do anything controversial or edgy i'm presenting to you factual things and i'm trying to make you understand with your logic rather than your emotions the nature of things that's my whole point and i think that's what art does in general i don't know about you but i'm like i'm not a person and and you and some of you may think well that's you're just being too strict and you're just being uppity and that's why you're douchey's because you're just being uppity and holier than now, and you're being condescending to everybody and blah because that's the other complaint is that people think I'm being condescending because I raise my voice because I put punctuation and inflection in the way that I say things all of a sudden I'm being condescending i think those people are projecting because they do feel inadequate about something and they know they're inadequate in some way and they're getting mad at me because I'm pointing out some kind of inadequacy that they feel. But, you know, I'm not doing that either. I'm just telling you truth. It's just that I feel passionate about that truth. I feel passionate about that message and so I'm delivering it to you in a fiery way. And it may feel condescending to you, but it's not. Because I, I, don't, I don't think I'm better than, than, than anybody. I don't, think I'm, I don't think I'm better than a person that's not as smart as me. I don't think I'm better than a person that's less fortunate than me. I don't think that. As a matter of fact, if you're less intelligent, then there's a, you have an excuse for not understanding certain things. That's because you're less intelligent. But that doesn't mean it can't be explained to you in a way that's going to make sense. Like, say, in a story. So, you know, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to... to. The, I don't even think... I'm not even being crotchety in the way that I think all films should just be art. And it should be hardcore art and nothing else. And it should be abstract and you should search deeply to find the meaning. No, that's not fair because that excludes people. I'm not doing that either. And if I... If I have to take my films, show them and then sit there after and explain every goddamn detail to people until they get it, then I'll fucking do it. I know that it's cool as an artist to put your work out there and then not explain it. I mean, my favorite filmmaker of all time is Stanley Kubrick, a man who notoriously didn't tell you a single thing about his films. R- would not tell you a single thing. And and to me, I can't stand to not do that. I think I do think that is, you know, Kind of cool, I guess. I don't know. But I can't stand to do that because my whole life I've just been blatantly misunderstood as a person, period. I'm not going to then create something, try and create something beautiful that tries to help you become a better person and change your life and then have you misunderstand that and think I'm simply pushing boundaries because there's a there's a nipple of a woman in it or a man's penis. You know, like... <laughs> So if I have to sit there after my films and explain every goddamn detail so people understand it, I will. I don't have a problem doing that. It doesn't make me smarter than you or better than you. It just means you didn't understand something. That's fine. That can be explained. But to be the type of person that just sees something in front of them that that could be life-changing or beautiful, and they're just like, they just see it and they're well, it was too long. Or, well, that was too arty. Or, well, that was a bunch of shit. Why? I don't know. It just didn't fit into the little box that normally fits into when I like to go to the movies and watch something. I like to go to the movies because I like to get away from my everyday life. I just want to get away from the the problems that are the everyday world. And I just want to experience something different. Well, you know, hooray. Kudos to you. But, uh... You know that's not being a real person, and that's not existing. You can't run forever from it. You can't just keep saying it's not there, and hope that it doesn't exist. Okay. And what in your life is so terrible? You don't have a girlfriend. Um, you don't like your job. You feel a little depressed. You're unhealthy. You're overweight. That's that's, that's so terrible. It must seem so terrible for all of that to happen. Why don't you you try holding your only child in your arms as they die? Why don't you try making the decision to let them go ahead and die and sit there and hold them in your arms until they're gone from this earth? And I know you may say, well, that's not fair, Joel. That's not fair for you to treat us that way because we can't, because we didn't have the same pain you did, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, that's not the point. The point is that you need to be a, a real person. You need to be a full, real person. You need to actually exist, and by sitting around going, "Well, I'm just going to ignore this because it's uncomfortable," and "Well, I don't want to think about that right now because it's uncomfortable," and "Well, I don't even want to talk about the kneeling thing and the NFL because you know I'm going to have to think about something and make a decision, and people are going to get mad at me, and it's going to be controversial, and I, don't, I just don't even want to deal with that right now. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to focus on my work right now, and, and trying to, manage I have bills to pay, I have things to do, I'm just trying to, that's not existing. I'm sorry to tell you but you're not existing your existence if that is if that is what your existence is if your existence is waking up every day eating fucking going to a job or maybe not fucking because you're still a virgin and you can't get a girlfriend. Oh, so depressing. Maybe your life is just every day you just go to your job and you eat food and you come home and you watch Game of Thrones and nothing else much really goes on in life and and you're fine because at least, you know, if you do that you can avoid having to have any controversies with anybody or confrontations or if nobody gets mad at you and you can joke and laugh about things on Facebook and put up uh, memes and I I, I hate to tell you this, but if that's your existence, then your existence is meaningless. And you have no reason to be existing at that point. I know that's a really hard pill to swallow, and I'm not saying you need to kill yourself. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not Nietzsche here. I'm not saying existence is pointless, so you should kill yourself. I'm saying why don't you make your existence not pointless? Why don't you become a full person? Why don't you start actually existing? Why don't you start knowing thyself at some point? And I and and again I know that's painful. I know that makes you uncomfortable just the mere thought of that. But that's that's what pain is. That's what growth is. That's what becoming a full person is, is it's pain. You, you can't experience pleasure and happiness and joy for what it really is if you have never actually experienced pain. And for those of you who say that they want to be artists out there, for those of you who who are telling me that they want to be artists, that they want to, to make art, Well, you can't avoid pain by any means if you're going to be an artist because art is pain. Art only exists because of pain. Art is explicitly pain. It's man hurting and trying to figure out why and then realizing why after he thought about it forever and then reaching a catharsis and then making his life better and becoming a more complete full person. That is what art is. Sometimes art is just that pain. It's just that struggle. It's just uncomfortable and unbearable. It's depressing. That's art. That's what art is. So if you're trying to be an artist, you damn sure can't try and avoid pain. And that's, that's one of the problems with living in the world we live in today. And that's part of the reason why I started this podcast is that I could deliver painful, hardcore truth to you. That's inconvenient in a time and place and culture where the vast majority of people are trying to make everything painless. Listen, I love I love Democrats, I love liberals. They're they're at least a little better than Republicans because they're not so close-minded and blocked off, logically. But they also have giant fucking problems, and those problems are trying to make everything safe. Trying to make everything as painless as possible, trying to make everyone get along and everything be nice and sweet. You can't do that. I'm all for not maliciously randomly hurting people too, but but you can't Avoid pain. You just can't. A painless society is a pain, is a society that has no idea what joy feels like. That's a society that has no idea what happiness feels like either. Refusing to feel pain or discomfort or saying, no, I feel enough pain or discomfort or, or, or awkwardness just by having to be depressed every day, just by living the life I live every day. Well, y- yeah, you, you know why? you know why it's because you're not fully living you're not really living you're not actually existing those of you who have menial jobs that mean nothing that job is not fulfilling at all because it's not doesn't actually do anything for you other than give you money those people who just do that every day eat every day have kids and just go on about their lives and try and be that is never going to make you happy you know why because that is not an existence that is not what human beings are supposed to do or be. We've, we've, we've gave ourselves this illusion that if we live and we make money and we spend that money and we go places and do things, that that's what happiness is, that that's what fulfilling us is. But it's not. That's not even close to that. Capitalism is not the answer. It doesn't fulfill us. You know, and socialism isn't either, and either is Marxism, either is any of that. I I I want you to be full people who live a real existence, who understand what it means to be human, what it means to be a person, and lives that out. You can't ever understand the point of existence. You're never going to. It's 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 not something you could ever understand because it's so beyond your comprehension to actually understand the meaning of life. It's not going to happen, but you can understand yourself. You can understand what you are. And you can create real, honest, open, complete relationships with other human beings. And you can live a full, happy life. And that's what I want you to do. That's what I'm encouraging you to do. And to get there, there's going to be a little pain on the way because you're going to have to realize, oh, I'm this, I'm that, I suck at this, I suck at that. Oh, here's a giant gaping gap in my uh, personality that sucks, that makes me a difficult person. Oh, here's a thing. About me That is why I can't succeed in life So far That's why I haven't succeeded in life so far Oh here's the thing about me as a person That is why I can't find a girlfriend Why don't I try and fix that Why don't I try and understand that And fix that uh, But that's going to be painful And it's going to take a couple of years And then do a lot of self-exploration And I could instead Just go to fucking Carl's Jr. And get something to eat And come home and watch Netflix Oh, I think I'd rather do that. I could just come home and watch. Netflix. I could watch Game of Thrones. Oh, man, I didn't watch Game of Thrones this week. I could get something to eat and come home and watch Game of Thrones. Oh, that would be even better. Folks, I do it myself. I do it all the time. I do it and I try to avoid putting together art. Because I try to sometimes to just sit and eat because I'm trying to avoid that. And that's a problem I have. But, you know, sooner or later it's got to stop and it's got to come out and it's got to end. And that's that's what I want you to do. Is I just want you to understand reality. I just want you to understand truth. I want you to be real people. Okay. I'm not trying to. That's the whole point of this. We are just too goddamn sensitive about stuff. We could, and it's part of our fault as millennials because we've we. It's part of our fault. We we lived. We grew up in this Disney world of the '90s, where everything was nice and sublime and perfect again. In America. And we want things to stay that way. And we don't want to ha- hurt people's feelings. And we don't want to share too much with people. So we want to keep everything chill. Because if we share with people and we start talking about real opinions or real truth, somebody's feelings is going to get hurt. And we don't want that. We just want to sit at a party and be like, oh, hey, what's up, man? Oh, nothing. What's up with you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm just chilling, man. What's going on? Like, Are you having fun? I'm having fun. Everybody's having fun. We just want to do that. But that's not... That's not how reality is. So I just want you to be better than that folks that's that's what that's what my art is is I'm just I want you to be better than that the, the, uh, and 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 let me just I want to add this too because this is what people don't seem to understand and it makes people mad and they get upset. This is what I want people to understand. Bee's in the room right now with Kisa singing and being part of the podcast. Anyway, um, this is the other thing I want people to understand. I'm not saying film is supposed to be art. Okay? It's not just supposed to be art. That's the thing about film that is so interesting to me and is so unique as an art form is that film is not just supposed to be art. It's also supposed to be entertainment. That's why it's so great. And that's why it's so cool is because it's something that can entertain you and take you away from your normal day for an hour or two or three or two hours and 45 minutes. If you're Blade Runner 2049 or fucking four hours, if you're uh, gone with the wind, that, that that's why it's so great is because it's not just entertainment. It's also art. It has a deep meaning that is important that teaches you something that you learn something about life or human beings or existence that makes you maybe perhaps better but it's also entertainment and that's why it's so challenging to me and that's why it's so um, important to me and that's why I'm going to keep doing it for the rest of my life because I can't stop doing it until I make a perfect film, but that's never going to happen because you can't, because perfect is, exact, is exactly that. It's unachievable. So I have to keep pursuing f- working on my story structure, working on my writing, working on my screenplays until I can make the most perfect possible film. And, and, and literature is like that, too. I mean, fiction is like that. Novels are like that. You know, you, you, you're combining not just entertainment for the person reading the book, but you're also combining art. But, but, and music is like that. You're combining entertainment, but you're also combining art. But it's not to the scale that film is. Because film uses music, it also uses literature, but it also uses photographs. It uses visuals to do that. And, and 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 I'm not a person that thinks you have to make it all about the art. I haven't seen a ghost story yet, but it looks super fucking pretentious and ridiculous to me and overly arty. Now, I can't say that for sure because I haven't watched it, but that's what it seems like to me. Uh, it Comes at Night, for example, is a good example of that. It was very arty, um, super metaphorical and stuff like that, but its story... And didn't quite support the amount of metaphor that it was trying to give us. And its overall message at the end wasn't that mind-blowing. It was, I thought it was a very common message. It spoke to the, the, um, the extreme level to which human beings will go to uh, when they're put in intense situations or when they're in a situation of grief. That's not that surprising to me. I know that human beings are animals, and they'll go to crazy extents. That's not that big of a. I don't. I don't think that was that mind blowing. But there wasn't enough story there either. And see, that's to me, that's when you know that a film, or a book, or uh, music is truly brilliant. Okay, if if, if you watch a film. And you realize that it has a fully fleshed out story that has a beginning and a middle and an end. And the story itself, the story inside the film, the characters, all that contained in there are, are perfectly fully formed and fleshed out and have a beautiful, uh, a beautiful, elaborate story that is wonderful and makes sense and logical and works perfectly and has a great ending and a great beginning and a great middle. The conflict is all there. The rising action and then the falling action and then the end. It's all there. And you're like, wow, what a great story. What a well-written script. This script is just flawless. I mean, it's just great. It's well-paced and well-written. It's like the script for Die Hard, which I'm not a big fan of the movie Die Hard, but the script is excellent. That's why they teach it in film schools, because the script is very well written structurally it's very sound and that's why they teach it in film schools because they're teaching the screenwriters hey this is how you correctly structure out and format a story okay very good but you know someone is truly a master when they can beautifully structure out a story and tell it in a beautifully wonderful way that if you were just there in the theater watching for entertainment, because you wanted to take time out of your day to get rid of all the madness going on in the world and just experience an interesting story because you're just a normal person, then you have it. It's all there for you. You got your wonderful story, but you know, they're truly a master when you do have that and it's beautifully written and wonderfully structured, but every single thing in it is actually a metaphor or a symbol for something else because the entire story is an allegory for something. And I don't just mean, well, it's, it's just, it just represents, uh, you know, humanity, blah, blah. No, I mean, every single detail of the story. Even the characters' names, even the setting of the story, all of that, it directly corresponds to the, uh, to the allegory that it's trying to fit. They're all symbols and visual metaphors of specific things that fall in the line with the overarching allegory, the overarching hidden meaning behind the entire thing that is supposed to teach you something about existence or life and hopefully inspire you to be a better person or inspire you to something that's when you know the person is truly a master that's where you get the legends of film okay and that's what i'm trying to do that's what i aspire to do and you might say well that's some pretty high standards you have there for a film and it is but that's that's the beauty of a film is that you can do that you can't do that in any other format You can inspire people, show them something in a story. You can inspire them and show them something in a song, but you can't combine all of that together and create this giant experience that is a film and it be mind-blowing, but also simply entertain all the normal people in the audience too and give them a story and make them happy. You, You can't do that with anything else film is the only way you can do that and it's just glorious and beautiful and wonderful and that's what a film should be that's what everybody should aspire to and and the fact that that's so hard to do the fact that it's so hard to perfectly correlate all of your normal story structures with your with your with your uh symbols and your metaphors and your and your allegory that you're trying to make to push your message that that's the whole point yes it is difficult It's hard to do. And that is the difference between amateur and pro. That is the difference between being uh, mediocre and being actually legitimately talented. If you want, you know, you can be a person who writes really entertaining books. Stephen King does that. And I don't want to shit on Stephen King um, I'm not a huge fan. I've talked about this before. I'm not a huge fan of Stephen King. I don't love Stephen King because all his books are very similar. They have a very similar tone a very similar characters. And sometimes he even copies himself story wise and plot wise. But I, I think he does that until he gets the story just right, which is fine. Um, you know, that's whatever. Um, Stephen King, I'm not going to say he's a bad writer because he's not a bad writer. He's a good writer. He's very good at writing suspense and thrill and horror. He's just very good at that. He's a very skilled writer. But that's the thing is Stephen King is not an artist. He's a skilled writer. And if you want to be a very skilled something, then, then good. I mean, we that's... Great. There's tons of normal people out there in the world who want to read that and be entertained and be thrilled. That's fine. But that doesn't mean you're an artist. You're a, that's the, you, you've got to understand there's a, that's why it's so difficult to be an artist. That's why it's a completely different thing. That's why it's so hard for people to do. Okay, there's 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 some people who are who are not even able to structure a story correctly in a way that makes any sense. And those people just simply aren't skilled enough. They're not skilled enough and they're not talented. Those people are mediocre. And you you encounter a lot of those people in your lifetime. Those are just regular, normal people. They're not skilled or talented enough to write a novel because they're just not or to write a screenplay they're just not they're not skilled or talented enough to make a painting that they're just not and that's fine you know the world is filled with lots of people we can't all be you know <clears throat> specifically talented that's 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 if if we were all specifically talented then talent wouldn't be special that's it's not unfair it's just how things are okay and then there's the people that are smart enough and skilled enough that they can sit there and they can learn how a story structure works and they can really get it down. And then they can make a perfectly structured story. And that's how I was for a long time in my life. I was a person who was an autodidact and who could very easily copy. So I could really study something and then just immediately be able to regurgitate it. I have LLI. That's just part of my thing. So me looking at something, Studying it, understanding it, and copying it is not hard for me. It's very easy for me to do. um, And I'm smart enough that I can figure it out pretty quickly. But that's not truly being an artist. That's not truly being a master of anything. There's being very skilled, and then there's being a master. And masters are artists. Skilled people are not um, I don't want to <coughs> go back on something I've talked about before. Um, but I think that is the difference between LeBron James and Michael Jordan. <coughs> um, LeBron James is probably the most skilled basketball player that's ever existed. Um, <clears throat> Michael Jordan is not necessarily more skilled than him. Um, LeBron James is the single greatest basketball player that's ever existed. But Michael Jordan, and I know this is me, you know, it sounds like me being ragging on LeBron James or being negative, but it's not, and I'll explain that. But Michael Jordan is the one who's the greatest. And he's the greatest because he's he's the true artist, we, we've never seen someone uh, perform the game of basketball in the way that he's performed it. He's an athletic artist like no other. Julius Irving was an athletic artist like no other. There's certain athletes that are capable of, uh, of transcending just a skill and becoming something that is beautiful. Those people are artists. They're masters. Michael Jordan was a master What he did was beautiful. You saw some moments, just the the way Michael Jordan would do a layup. You're just like, oh, that's beauty right there. And And I know some of you are like, but I thought you liked LeBron James better. I do like LeBron James better, personally. I do. I do like him better. I do think he's a better player, personally. But we're talking about the difference between skill and mastery. Mastery is art. Skill is not. There's a difference. That's why Die Hard is not one of the great movies of all time. That's why the script is taught in film schools, because um, skill-wise, what's the name of that guy that wrote Die Hard? What is his name? Fuck. It's the guy who did The Good Guys and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. What is that guy's fucking name? Something black. Anyway, um, he's a great screenwriter. He's a very skilled screenwriter. Um, Die Hard is a very skilled... uh, script it's written very well that's why they teach it because when you come in the film school you're a person who's not supposed to fucking know anything about about films you don't know the proper etiquette of anything you just really like films so they're trying to teach you how to do something and that's why they use the diehard script do you do you think someone that was a true master of filmmaking like scorsese would go well let me take a look at the uh Let me tell you, I'm I'm doing a new movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Let me take a look at the Die Hard script, see what I can learn. No. Because he's a master. He's He's way past that. Okay? That's why they teach it in school, so they can teach you a proper form. There's nothing wrong with teaching a proper form. It's like practicing basketball and learning how to properly shoot. Okay? That's all it is. So there's a huge difference between being very skilled and being a master. Because being a master is being an artist. And, you know, it's why Die Hard isn't one of the great films of all time. It's a very good film. It's got an excellent script. But you know who's a master of screenwriting? Aaron Sorkin. I'm not a huge fan of Aaron Sorkin either, but he's a master of screenwriting. His screenplays are pieces of art. He follows structures. He, ha- he follows the the correct structure and stuff like that, but God, he has a lot of dialogue. And he lets that dialogue drive the story. He's got a very specific way of doing it. He's a master of doing it. No one else can do what he does. He's an artist. I'm sorry, but there is a difference in filmmaking between being an artist and making a film that is a masterful piece of work and making a film. That's just a movie. There's a difference. And I don't want to say to me, because I don't think it's an opinion. I think the definition of what a film is supposed to be is it's supposed to be entertainment and art. So the goal should be to make a piece that is both entertaining and and a masterful piece of art. That's what it's supposed to be. If, if you're just a very skilled player in basketball, you don't always win a bunch of championships. But you go down as someone who's very skilled. You get remembered for being very skilled. But, you know, you're not one of the greats. You're not one of the all-time legends. You know? That's the that's the championships thing with Jordan, you know? He had that extra special thing. He was a master. He was glorious. What he did was beautiful. He was an artist. So that's, to me, that's the difference. Yeah, if it, and, if, and if it's your goal <clears throat> to be a type of filmmaker, and I say this, you know, thinking about Nick, obviously, because me and Nick are very different when it comes to films. And I would love to have him on the show to talk about his theory about films, because I, I'm saying what, what I think he wants to do, but it can't be hundred percent accurate because it's not him saying it. So, but I think Nick wants to, he, Nick is, I think he's conflicted as a person because I think um, sometimes he wants to be an artist more than he wants to entertain. And then, uh, and that's the creative side of him kind of, itching to get out and then I think sometimes he wants to be more entertaining and uh, more of a formalist and follow structure and be very skilled and praised for his structure and skill than he wants to make art because um, I think Nick likes structure and he likes to have a, a, a line of rules and he likes to follow those and he likes to be thanked and praised and told he did a good job. And we all like to do that. So I, am not even, I'm saying, I'm assuming this is what, how Nick is. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think we're all naturally like that. We all want to be rewarded for what we do. Um, and I think that's what may, why being an artist is so hard is because you're not always rewarded for what you do as an artist. You're just not, um, I mean look at David Lynch um, how many films he fucking did in his life that were so fucking weird and out there that people didn't understand what the fuck was going on and then he makes Mall and Drive and wins the Oscar for Best Picture and it cleans up and wins all these Oscars I mean and then he, nothing you know since really I, I mean being an artist is no one said being an artist is easy and that's why it's difficult and that's why being a legend is difficult. And why being so um, good is difficult. Excellence is difficult. Um, but you know, you're not always rewarded. And most of the time as an artist, I know me for sure. Um, a lot of times as an artist, especially starting out, you don't get shit. Nobody gives you anything. Nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit. That nobody tells you you did a good job ever. Because chances are, if you're because to be an artist, you, you, it, it involves putting yourself out there in a way that is uncomfortable. You have to put yourself out there. You have to, as they would say it in in, liter- in literature, put a little blood on the page. You got to get a little blood on the page. You got to get a little blood on the film if you're a filmmaker. You got to get a little blood on the canvas if you're a painter. You got to take some of yourself and just put it out there. You just got to put it out there because it's pain and it's the things you're going through, and you know what the risk of that is somebody's going to, you're going to, you're going to sit there and craft this thing and work on it and work really hard and put your soul out there and be really happy with what you did. And then somebody's going to come in and be like, ah, it's, it's too fucking long. I don't understand why you did that shot. It's too arty. Uh, The editing's weird. I don't understand it. I didn't fully understand the story. I didn't feel like it was fully fleshed out a little bit. And then you're just going to feel like shit. That's what being an artist is. And you know i think that if you're a person who wants to make um who wants to entertain people and you want to make people happy you want to make people smile or or laugh or cry or show them something cool and fun and entertain them um i don't think there's anything wrong with that i don't think that's um <clears throat> to be despised or looked down upon. Um, But if you want to do that, then do it. And I'm happy for you. And it's going to make you a lot of money. And you could be very successful doing that. Um, But you, you have to understand that if that's your choice in life, and I think Stephen King understands this. I think people that write pop music understand this. They're not there to make art, to make giant uh, grand pieces of art that change humanity and make humanity think they're there to write something cool and interesting and entertaining. And that makes people happy, you know, that brings people joy. So if that's, if if that's what you want to do, fine and I think that's good that's not to be looked down upon or downgraded or degraded in any way but you have to understand if that's what you want to do that you're not an artist for doing that and as I said that's not downgrading you at all there's nothing wrong with that but you're not an artist you're not making art you're making entertainment and that's fine you shouldn't feel bad about that there should be no excuses in your mind for that and if you say hey maybe I want to make both okay fine make both make one that's entertainment make one that's art go back and forth be like George Clooney that's what George Clooney does one for the studio one for himself one for the studio one for himself that's fine or if you want to make both, why don't you do what I have talked about and, uh, put both into one and make a true film and then become a legend You do that instead. How about that challenge? You know? Um, but yeah, again, I'm not saying it means you suck or you're less of a person, It doesn't. It just means you're not an artist. And that's fine. Not everybody is an artist. Not everybody is creative. Not everybody is a genius. Not everybody is brilliant. Not everybody can play basketball like a professional athlete. It's just we're all different. Not everybody can do the same thing or be on the same level. That's fine. If you want to be an entertainer, be an entertainer. You know? But you got to have enough awareness to know that you're not an artist. So you you can't sit there and fight for what is artistic and and fight as a person who is an artist and try and defend what you do as art when when you know that's not your purpose. The purpose is the most important thing. Intention is the only thing that matters. That's the most important aspect of anything, is intention. I mean, if I was out hunting with a friend and I accidentally shot him in the head and he died, would I go to jail for that? Probably not, because it was an accident. I didn't intend to shoot him in the head. Now, if I did want to shoot him in the head, and then I did, I would definitely go to jail for that, because I intended to kill him. Um, So intention is, is basically the most important thing, the most important aspect of anything you do in life. What are you trying to do? If you're trying to entertain people, then you're an entertainer, and that's fine. Congratulations, you're an entertainer. Learn how to be the best entertainer in the world. Try and be the best entertainer in the world. Learn all of the techniques for entertaining and be the best at it. If your intention is to make art and be an artist, then be an artist. And, 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 and That's what I, that's the thing. That's the crux. That's the thing that's the most upsetting, I think, to people. And it's the hardest to digest. And that's why it's so hard to be an artist. That's why it's so hard to be excellent or be a legend or, you know, some, hey, some artists are really good at making art, but not so good at the other part of filmmaking. And that's fine. I mean... Nicholas Winding Refn. I love Nicholas Winding Refn with all my heart. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. I love his films. They're, um, um, they um, visual pornography. It's, I mean, it's like, you know, um, that's a weird term. Um, it's like ocular pornography. I don't know how to put it. Um, but his visuals are stunning and beautiful and gorgeous. And it's, they're so gorgeous and beautiful that i it's almost like i'm getting aroused just by watching them because they're so beautiful and gorgeous i love his cinematography i love his films for those reasons um because aesthetically they're just incredible um but he doesn't always have a lot of story um he doesn't always have a lot of dialogue there's not always a lot it's it's his films are intensely metaphorical and intensely symbolic and, uh, they're more abstract than they are concrete. Um, but that's fine. That's what, I mean, he's more of a, uh, he's more of a straight artist, you know, type when it comes to filmmaking, And so it, there's all types of films. There are indeed all types of films and all types of filmmakers, some that are more artistic than they are entertaining. Some that are more entertaining than they are artistic. Now, Nicholas Winding Refn, I am entertained by his films because I enjoy art period, but I don't expect regular people to be entertained by it. Um, and, you know, the same thing goes f- for me when I make films. I don't you know, I know that people want to be entertained and I'm trying to make films that are both for a mainstream audience and the artistic audience. Um, I know that's very difficult to do and I know that's a huge um, standard, but that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make films that are entertaining and watchable by normal people and also have the, the deep psychological you know, have the deep meaning there. And uh, if you don't want to process it, you don't have to, at least you can enjoy the story. Um, and I've been sending out bluff to uh, lots of uh, people, mainly from my LLI group uh, on Facebook. I, I have LLI, so I have a bunch of friends. I, I joined an LLI group with a bunch of people that have LLI from all over the world. And I've been sending out bluff to them to watch just to kind of get a... Uh, just to kind of get a feel for where it's at. Um, And I send it to people from all over the world. I mean, I've got people from Finland on there, people from um, uh, Germany, people from Switzerland, Denmark. Um, I I have noticed with my films, with my short films, even sending them to people from around the world, that my films tend tend to come across better to people that are European and Nordic. Um, and even when I had Camilla on the podcast who's from Finland um, I let her watch some of the trailers and stuff from Bluff and she was just like I this looks." she's like I really like this she's like this reminds me of like a lot of the art in Finland a lot of the modern art that's going on in, in Finland and and that part of the the world she's like it it fits right in there she's like I think it would do well there and I was like really that's interesting because I've noticed that it seems to go over better with other countries. So I think, uh, bluff, I'm going to exclusively be sending it to other countries festivals first before I send it here. Um, but, and if that's the case then that's fine, I mean, it's all about finding an audience, you know, and I ju- I want to find an audience. So if that's the case, then fine, you know, um, I just, it's just, you know, I want it to be entertaining and art because I think that's what film is supposed to be. And I think people just misunderstand that I'm trying to push boundaries or that I want some super strict thing and that's not it. I just, I want, the, the reality is, the truth is that if you want to be, make films that are entertaining, then fantastic, you're an entertainer. You're making movies that are entertaining. Accept that, make that what you are. If you want to be an artist and make films that are very arty, and you're not worried about the entertainment because they're just for arty people, so arty people will be entertained, then fine, do that, embrace that, be that. But, you know, don't, don't talk about film being something other than what film is, which is it's supposed to be something that's entertaining and art. That's it. Um, be what you are. Accept that embrace it and, uh, be the best at it. I think that's enough talking about that. I'm I'm talking about racism now. Um, racism, uh, correlates to this because people view art in the, in the very same way that they view racism. They don't think logically they think, um, emotionally. <clears throat> and it stunts the actual reality of them realizing what is racist and what is not racist. And people get very upset uh, when you when you do things that they think are disrespecting the country, like kneeling during the national anthem. People get very upset about that and they focus in on that. And like I explained earlier, that the national anthem is not about that. Our flag is representative of many things, not just freedom. And the other thing is they think it's offensive to our troops. But the truth there and the reality there is, first of all, our troops, our soldiers have not fought for the freedom of America uh, since maybe World War One. I. I mean, they have not truly fought for the freedom of America since, yeah, maybe even before that, since maybe the Civil War. Because no war has really taken place on American soil since the Civil War. And in the world wars, those were other countries attacking other countries, not ours. And we didn't necessarily even have to get involved. We waited till the last minute to get involved in both situations to help other countries. So understand, people, that our soldiers are not fighting for our freedom. They haven't, nobody is a threat to our freedom. Nobody really is a threat to our freedom except for our own government. And and that's the other thing is that this country was started. America was started out of rebellion, out of rebellion against the government that tried to control them, which was the English government. So they came here and started America and explicitly made the rules and the constitution the way they made it so that the citizens of America could always be watching the government and saying, Hey, you better watch it. That's not right. And That's the whole point of America. That's the freedom that we talk about in America, the liberty that we have. That's what it is, is it's all based around watching the government, making sure they're not doing anything we don't like, and then having the ability to stop them should they. And that's why the second amendment exists. That's why we have guns. That's why we have the right to arms so that every man, woman and child in our country has the ability to rise up against the government if they want to. If the government tries to do things by force, we as the people can say no. That's the whole point. So to belittle or gripe about a, a black man, which first of all, to, to, to gripe or belittle a black man kneeling during the national anthem, protesting, protesting, uh, inequality is just ridiculous and silly of us because he's not protesting the government, and even if he was, that would be fine too. As a matter of fact, that should be encouraged in this country. That's uh, there's so much like. There's so much stuff that's contradictory that's going on here. Contradictory logic with all of that. Like people from the South being very proud to be American and being very proud of their country and considering themselves patriots and getting mad at at people for kneeling, (laughs) getting mad at black people for kneeling during the national anthem and finding it disrespectful to the country of America is just silly because they're from the South. And they routinely wave their rebel flags around and talk about how proud they are to be the South and how proud they are to be rebels and how the South will rise again and all this. They are from a part of the country that so dislikes the American government itself that they tried to separate and start their own country. Yet they're claiming they're so American that kneeling is disrespectful to their country. That just doesn't you see that doesn't make any sense, folks, and it's also dumb because you're the South, you used to own black people if black people want to do kneel against to 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 fight inequality, which the only reason they're having to to kneel to fight equality is because you're part of the country refused to make them equal forever. And fought an entire war and betrayed the entire country and became treasonous because of it. So, you you really can't say anything. You just need to sit down and shut up. And And the thing that's very interesting to me about this whole racism thing is that people... I mean, yes, people aren't getting it. It's just like with art. People aren't getting it. It's just like with the movie Mother. People... Aren't getting why they're kneeling, and like we talked about, the intention of why you do something is the most important part. If they're kneeling because their intention is to bring awareness to inequality, uh, then <laughs> that's what it's about. That's what their kneeling means. It represents inequality. Represents protesting inequality. Therefore, you, you can't make it about anything else. It's it's just like when Mother was released and people were like, oh my God, what does Mother mean? And then Darren Aronofsky came out and told you at the Toronto Film Festival what it actually meant. And then you were still didn't get it. <laughs> like, he told you blatantly what the film was about and what it means. And it was funny because there were still people going, well, I don't think it means that. I think it means this. And he's just trying to lie and hide the meaning. Okay, all right, yeah, whatever. Um, and then it was also funny because there were people... That were saying, oh, he said this is what it's about. This is what it's about. And those are people I read his statements and those people still didn't get what it was about. He blatantly said, this is what it's about. And those people were like, oh, it's about this. People were like, so uh, is Javier Bardem supposed to represent God and Jennifer Lawrence supposed to represent the earth? And, 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 you know, Michelle Pfeiffer and her husband are supposed to represent Adam and Eve and the sons are supposed to represent Cain and Abel. And he's, they're like, there's so many biblical references. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's, those are all symbols of that. Yeah. I use those as symbols, um, for that, um, to represent kind of an overall a bigger allegory which is kind of the whole point of the film and they just took that and immediately jumped on it and said it represents god he's it's religious it's a religious allegory and it's like no 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 no, no that's not what he said what he said is those were symbols that he used as part of a bigger allegory that bigger allegory is what the film is actually about it's not about god and creation it's a it's about something bigger than that those are symbols that you place with inside of an, a greater idea to help emphasize the overall allegory that you're trying to make and so it's just ridiculous because it's like the artist himself told you what it meant and you still didn't get it the people who knelt told you themselves what it meant when they kneeled and you still tried to say it was something else. You didn't get it. You still tried to say, well, and I got into a giant argument with a guy, a fucking guy on the internet, on Facebook that I, he's a guy that I used to go to school with at Murray and I fucking hate him. I hate him. I've always hated him. Everybody that I know hates him. Everybody that I know hates his sister and his family. Cause they're all, overly religious and fucking ridiculous and nobody likes them. And it's ridiculous. You know, uh, I'm not going to get too deep cause I don't want to like get in trouble here, but I don't like him. I've never liked him. He's always been a person I didn't like. He's always been an enemy of mine, a mortal enemy because <laughs> he's a person who thinks that he's super talented. When in reality, he's not very talented at all. He He's very annoying. Um, and his wife was actually legitimately a talent, talented person and could have done cool things and even acted, but, but was attached to him. And we, we never, none of us ever understood why she was attached to him. like, because he just is so boring and vanilla and lame. We've never understood why somebody like her who's interesting and talented would actually want to spend time with someone like that. And she kind of acted like she knew that herself too, but she really liked him. And she even acted sometimes like she was annoyed and by his ridiculousness, but she continued to stay with him. And I think it's because, you know, she didn't have a great life and she didn't come from a great place and his life, which is a middle-class white life is, is nice and it's easy and it makes her happy to be out of where she was. And you know, if that's what you want to do, great. It was a way for her to have a better life. That's wonderful. They have kids, they have a good life. I'm sure they're happy. Uh, but to me that doesn't seem fulfilling at all. In any way, shape, or form. Anyway, I got into a giant argue with argument with him on Facebook because he didn't fucking understand this whole thing. He kept trying to say that it was offensive and that people should be that people were protesting against it by not watching NFL. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> number one, you can't protest a protest when you don't understand what that protest was about in the first place. That's just number one. So, it's, they're not number two. They're not protesting because. <laughs> You can't protest the action somebody took. Like if, if somebody protests, when you protest, you protest an idea. Okay, that's the whole point of protest. You protest an idea or a concept that you think is not right. And, and so these people responding by saying, well, I'm just not going to watch it because I refuse to acknowledge or understand what this entire thing is actually about. So I'm just going to not watch it that's not a protest that's called being a giant immature baby and being ignorant and being stupid and refusing to acknowledge what it was actually about um it's the same thing with mother you can't say that it's about religion and creation when it's clearly not about that because the creator told you that it's not about that um so therefore it's the same thing with the kneeling thing but people don't understand that and 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 I think it's because people don't actually think that racism really exists in America. I don't think they actually understand that it still exists. And by people, I mean white people. I'm I'm talking about non-minorities. I'm not trying to be racist here. It's not being racist. It's just telling you the truth, which is that I think non-minorities, which is white people, don't understand that racism still exists. They... There are some, and there are a bunch that are liberals that go overboard with it. But like the the majority of these white people who are conservative and Republican, I don't think they believe that it exists anymore. They they see gay marriage and they see uh, female empowerment and all that, and they don't think racism or sexism exists anymore. They don't think it. Some of them don't even think it existed in the first place, and some of them are just so crazy that they actually think. That they're superior to black people, which is, which is hilarious because as we talked about before in the last podcast, um, biologically black people from Africa are the only people that are hundred percent homo sapien. So, I mean, it's just, they're white people aren't even hundred percent human. They're literally not even hundred percent human and black people from Africa literally are. So, even that is just stupid. Even the idea of them being inferior is just stupid. It's just stupid. It's wrong. It's incorrect, and there's no way around it. It and it just made me mad because I this guy that I was arguing with on Facebook, he kept saying that. He kept saying, "Well, you know, that's just your that's like your opinion, and this is my opinion, and that's fine." And and I'm like, "No, you don't understand. It's not an opinion. I'm not telling you opinions. I'm telling you." facts you fucking moron and and that's the thing is that people don't really it's the same thing with with facing the f- reality of uh, that you're not really an artist you're a person who's really skilled at something or you're an entertainer or you're not skilled at all it's the same thing as facing the reality that you're not you're not actually talented you think you are talented you want to be talented you think that stuff is cool, but then you find out you're not talented and it's upsetting, so you just try to ignore it. It's the same thing. It's cognitive dissonance. It's, this, it's, it's when your brain comes in the – it's when reality – or I won't even say reality because reality is not real. Reality is created. So I'll, you know, it's, it's when actuality, what the actual truth is, comes in the conflict with what you believe is the truth. You start to get this thing called cognitive dissonance where you physically feel uncomfortable and you physically start to feel awkward. And I'm telling you people that I think this is the same thing that happens when I talk about what art is. And when I talk about what a film is supposed to be, people get uncomfortable because the, the, what they believe to be the truth comes in the conflict with what actually is the truth and they start to feel physically uncomfortable. They go, well, wait a minute. I, I went to a movie and I enjoyed it and and you're saying that's not art? And I'm like, no, 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 no. No. Nobody's... No. That's not... Because you enjoy a movie does not mean that that movie is art. Art is a specific thing. You can enjoy something that's not art. That doesn't... That doesn't make it any less in value. That's what you don't understand. Um, Just like people don't understand that what the person who creates something, what their intent behind what something is, is what that thing is. Anytime somebody does something, what their intent is what that thing is. You know. I've I, I've had to have this conversation with Brooke before about things where I'll say something to her jokingly or teasing her, and she gets mad at me and this gets upset and says I was being mean, and I and I and I tell her no, I wasn't being mean to you. I was joking with you, and she said, but that's mean. What you said is mean, and I said no. What I said, I intended for it to be funny. I intended for it to be a joke. It can't. It's not mean if it's if I never intended any kind of malice with it so you know that (sighs) people don't understand that there is a truth and then there is your feelings and your feelings do not determine what the truth is I understand that in real life in everyday life your feelings determine what your actions are um, but that your feelings do not determine what the truth is about something and that's a hard concept for people to grasp they don't these white people they don't believe that racism still exists and and it's just it's funny because i, I, I these white people that are super conservative and stuff they they think that they think that they they may have a hard life they may have had to pay for college they may have had to work two jobs to make it through college and all this or they may be very poor now even and very living check to paycheck to paycheck very uh, not being able to pay their bills and shit like that and they think well my life is very hard okay my life is very hard i don't understand why it would be any harder for a black person or any harder for a minority. I don't understand that. Why would it be any harder for a woman or a black person or a minority? It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, my life is hard and yeah, maybe your life is hard. That is hard. But the fact that you have an inability as a white person to understand why life perhaps might be a little more difficult why day-to-day life and the things that you choose to do in life might be a little more difficult if you were a minority or a woman just (laughs) illustrates that you have been thought of as the top of the food chain for so long that you can't imagine what it would be like if you weren't (laughs) that's it's just hilarious and 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 for me to say that is not racist because that's the thing that white people jump to is well, but but just saying that you're being racist against me if you're saying no, 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 that's not racism. I, you're I, you're not even understanding the definition of racism. It's just it's sad. You're not even understanding the definition of the very term that you're arguing doesn't exist. Like I I just don't. It's it's so infuriating to deal with these people. Because racism is when you blatantly discriminate against someone based upon this color of their skin. Discrimination is when you blatantly discriminate against someone for a reason that is not a legitimate, logical reason. For a reason that just has to do with what their race is or what their sex is or whether they're crippled or not. Or any time you pick something to tell someone they can't do it or they can't have it simply because of a non-logical reason that's discrimination and and I don't like people don't understand it i i have always thought of myself as somebody who's not necessarily a minority even though i am kind of because I'm like, well, I'm half white. I generally look white. Nobody ever thinks I'm anything but white. And I talk very clearly and plainly so people don't assume I'm anything else but white. But as my wife pointed out, who is white, no, that's not true at all. You very distinctly don't look white. And I didn't know that. Uh, I just assumed I was white. I don't really get treated like I'm not white very often I've never really been super discriminated against in any way I mean there's little things like I've talked about on this show where people look at me weird because of the way I look all the time and so I can't just talk to children even though my my son died and I like children and I want to talk to children I can't because you know I don't have a child anymore and people don't know that he died and they think I'm some big creepy person who's trying to steal their child that's a little discriminatory cuz it's based on the way that i look um but it's not that huge of a deal um i've and then i started to think about my relationship with cops which is specifically what the protesting was about uh it was about inequality in general but specifically about cops mistreating black people more than they mistreat white people and this is where it gets weird so hold on to your pants here folks because I started thinking about how often I've been treated oddly by cops, and I just assumed it's because all cops were dicks and ridiculous, and then I did meet some nice cops, and so I started trying to figure out why I get mistreated most of the time by cops, and I, and I realized in talking with my wife that it is because I blatantly look like a minority. I'm tall and I have dark brown skin, not super dark, but I have brown skin and dark black hair and big eyes that are sunken in. And people just assume, uh, e- people either assume because I'm big and tall that I'm a big dumb idiot. Um, uh, who can't feel any pain. who's just walking around like this all the time. Whoa. Or, the, because I'm brown, assume that I'm Mexican or something. And that's the part where police are like, what is he doing? They get suspect. You know, I can't count the number of times in broad daylight during a normal part of the day that I've been stopped and questioned meticulously for 45 minutes by a cop because I had a tell light out or because, you know, No reason at all. I've been talked, talked, stopped and talked to, asked a bunch of questions about weapons and guns and drugs and searched and all this bullshit by cops in the middle of the day. But if it's nighttime and it's late at night and I'm by myself in a car, uh, I'm probably going to get stopped because I'm Brown and it's late at night. So I must be doing something that's suspicious. Um, so I don't, it's, and then I realized, you know, I thought about the time when I was in high school, when I was a senior or when I was a junior and I went to a party with some friends in another town, it was a new year's thing. And, um, I went out to go get something to eat with my girlfriend who was a small, pretty white girl. And it was, you know, uh, it wasn't even that late. I mean, it was like 1130 at night and I went out to get something to eat and everything was closed. So then we came back. Um, I pass by several cops on the way and and I'm like, well, they're, you know, they're out because it's New Year's. Then um, on the way back, I see several more cops and I'm like, whatever, it's New Year's. They're out. It's no big deal. Then we get like three blocks from the house and the cop starts following us and turns on his lights and or the cop starts following us. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with my car. It should be fine. Um, I haven't been drinking tonight. I don't do drugs at that time. I hadn't done any drugs. So I'm like, I don't do drugs. I, I haven't been drinking. Everything should be fine. Um, I pull up to the house where that we're going to, and I turn off the ignition and his lights turn on. (laughs) So I'm literally stopped in front of the house that I was going to in the, in the driveway and he turns on the lights Uh, and I'm like, okay. And I sit there and I'm like, can I help you? And he's like, "Uh, yeah, where are you going? And I said, I'm going here. And he's like, where are you really going? And I said, I'm going here. This is where I'm going. He's like, right here to this house. This exact house is where you're going. And I said, yes, this exact house. I literally pulled up and stopped. So I turned off my ignition. I'm going to this house right here. He's like, what are you going for? And I'm like, "Uh, it's New Year's. Me and my friends are getting together and hanging out. And he's like, okay, do you have any drugs on you? And I said, No. And he's like, sir, I'm going to ask you again. Do you have any drugs on you? And I'm like, no, I don't. And he's like, ma'am, do you have an ID? Who are you, ma'am? Are you okay? Are you safe, ma'am? Blah, blah, blah. All this shit. Then he pulls me out of the car and then like four other cops show up. And then he brings, they bring dogs out, two different dogs and start going through my entire car, opening my trunk, sorting through everything, letting the dogs go through every bit of my car, moving all my stuff around and then he even has me stand against the car, pulls out the back of my pants, and searches down my butt crack for drugs after he asked me a few more times if I have any drugs. And, you know, this is, it's not even that late at night. I know it's happening, obviously, because I'm a brown-skinned man with a white girl in my car at 11 o'clock at night. So I, I just, I don't understand. I, I, I just, I after i started to realize that how much i've been harassed by cops and searched Sorry. i realized that it is you know it it, it life uh, and then i uh, life is simply a little more annoying if you're a minority you know and i know that's i know that's like oh boo hoo life is slightly more annoying but you but you, you don't understand like There are poor white people who have a hard time making it in life. Things are difficult and they're living paycheck to paycheck. We have all of those same things as minorities. We have every single bit of those same things. And that way we're all even and we're all on the same scale. But on top of it, we have all kinds of other little things that just go on in our day-to-day life that you as white people don't ever, ever have to experience. Like, you know if I walk into a a convenience store late at night, I get looked at weird and watched everywhere I go in the store because I'm a minority and it's late at night. If you're a white person and it's late at night and you walk into a store, nobody, nobody stares at you. They just say hi hi and wave and go on. But like, and you may say, well, that's not that big of a deal. And, And that's not that big of a deal. But if it's late at night and you're a black guy, which is the ones they look at the worst And you're out late at night and you have a gun in your car, which is we're all allowed to do in Oklahoma. And in America, we're allowed to have guns and you have a gun in your car. And even if you have a concealed carry license, it says it, you know, uh, we've seen this happen. We've seen this happen. It's a simple traffic stop, sometimes even in broad daylight. And the cops get freaked out and scared and they start shooting somebody and they kill somebody. I mean, (sighs) You know, And this guy from Tisch brought up this stat, which I'm perfectly aware of, that says, well, you know, there's more black-on-black crime than there is white-on-black crime. And uh, cops uh, statistically kill more white people a year than they kill black people. Yes, I know. I'm aware of that stat, okay? I'm aware of that stat. The thing about that stat is, yes, there are absolutely more white people killed a year than there are black people. It's absolutely true. And there's more black-on-black crime than there is white-on-black crime. It's absolutely true. But the thing is, let's take the first statistic. There's more cops that kill white people than there are cops that kill black people. Absolutely true. Statistically, that's true. Numbers-wise, true. Uh, But the thing is, (laughs) there's like over four times more white people in the United States than there are black people. Black people make up like 13% of the population. White people make up like 63% of the population. So it's a little over three times more, a little over four times more, I think, than than the more white people than there are black people. So when you calculate, the, so then you have to calculate the number of black people that are killed and you have to correspond that to how many black people there are. And then you come up with a percentage And that's the true statistic, because then you know what percentage of the black community is killed as opposed to what percentage of the white community is killed by cops. And when you do that, you realize a very strange statistic that says that over two and a half times more black people are killed than white people by cops in terms of their actual population in the country, which means you are over two and a half times more likely to be killed if you're black than if you're white by a cop. Well, now that's a very interesting statistic there. And, and what about the more black on black crime than white on black crime? Well, see now that happens because black people all tend to live in one area and white people all tend to live in one area. So therefore, there's always going to be more whites killing whites in one area than there are blacks killing... Or there's always going to be more whites killing whites, and there's always going to be more blacks killing blacks because blacks are mostly contained to one area, and whites are mostly contained to one area, and people don't leave their areas very often. So any murders that happen in that area are, of course, going to be the same race on the same race. So see, once you get into the truth... Of things, and you look at the truth, you realize that you're just wrong. You're just absolutely wrong. I'm sorry, white people. And and the truth the truth is that if you're a white person who's been white your whole life, and and you've had basically a decent life, you're just not going to be able to fully understand what it's like to be a poor black person in a poor black neighborhood. You're just not. You just. It's not going to be a thing you can understand. I can't <clears throat> I can't have a legitimate argument about tampons with a woman. I can't have a legitimate argument about tampons and how they should fit and what would make them work better with a woman. I just can't do that because I don't wear fucking tampons. I don't know anything about fucking tampons. I could study the design of tampons and the design of women's bodies and and hypothesize what could possibly work better as far as tampons are concerned with a woman's general vaginal shape. But I can't actually tell you what works better and what doesn't because I'm not a fucking woman. And it would be completely... Uh, it would be completely irresponsible for me to be making tampons and designing tampons and telling women how they should wear tampons if I'm not a fucking woman. That just wouldn't make any sense. It's stupid. Do you, do you understand why that's stupid? Because if you understand why that's stupid, then you should be able to understand why it's stupid for you as a white person to have an argument with a black person or a minority or a yeah a black person or a minority as to what is good for black people or minorities you, you, you don't understand, you can't understand to have a conversation about it and try and argue something or try and or worse yet try and tell tell a minority that what they're feeling, And what they experience is just their opinion, and the reality is that's not true. is is just stupid. It's just moronic. Um, It's naive, and it's moronic, and it's dumb. It's just it's there's just no way around it. And, and, I, and I know that a big reason why Trump was elected is because white people don't like this shit. They don't like hearing this shit. And they, they're like, well, no, no, that's not fair. It's not fair saying I can't speak. I have freedom of speech. And it's just, it's not fair. I should be able to say something when I want to say. No, that's true. It, it, you should be able to say anything you want. And you are allowed to say anything you want. But that doesn't mean what you say is correct. It doesn't mean what you say is true. And unfortunately, when it comes to something like this, where we know what the facts are, you, you can't really argue that. I, I it's it, You can. You can. You've got freedom of speech. You can openly say you don't like it. But you're wrong. I'm sorry. There's no way around it. You're wrong. And you're just going to have to accept that. Understand. Not everybody gets to have... say in everything that's not how it works i'm sorry that's a hard truth to face or understand or comprehend but some your opinion doesn't always matter on everything if you're a white guy um, your opinion on how we should deal with black issues in america doesn't really matter i'm sorry but your opinion is not relevant it's just simply not And I know that's you feel like that's unfair. It's not really unfair. it's, It's not unfair. You just can't. That's just how things work. Lots of things in life aren't fair. And if you're sitting there as a white person right now going, well, that's just ridiculous. I can't believe that. I can't believe I'm not allowed to just say what I want to say about black people. I can't believe that I am not allowed To say and give an opinion on what black people should be doing about stuff. I can't believe that. Well, now you know what it's like. Now you have a slight inkling, a slight understanding of what it's like to be a minority. And be told that what you think and what you feel is not important. Because these are the facts. That's what it feels like to be a minority. That is a slight window into what it feels like. Now if you magnified it by five hundred and if if you added to it an entire thousands of years of history of your people being torn apart and raped and murdered and killed, and you added that on top of it as weight, then you know maybe you could feel what that feels like. See, that's the other thing is is, white people don't understand that they have had thousands of years of reigning and ruling the world from the Greeks to, to the Romans to, you know, Alexander the great to all these people all taking over and running everything. I mean, sure. The Mongols had a good run of it for a while, but they weren't running the entire world. There was still a whole world of white people that were running everything. Um (laughs) It's, it's hard to comprehend or even understand, and I understand why white people don't get it, but the thing is, you need to understand and accept that you don't get it, white people, and just accept that, and know that you're not going to accept it, and know that you're not going to get it, and you can't comprehend it, um, And and here's the deal. The thing right now that's happening in our culture is we're on the brink of another civil war, because... Uh, people are so enamored with their political beliefs that they're turning that into their religion and they're splitting. And uh, it's just stupid. There's so much cognitive dissonance going on right now that it's not even funny. Uh, and it's ridiculous. And it's going to turn into a world war. And I, and I listen to... I don't watch a lot of news because a lot of the news is bias. A lot of it is not necessarily fake news, but it's just really biased and slanted towards certain ways and some of it they just blatantly are lying and they don't tell you the truth fox news is terrible cnn is terrible they're just not uh you know they they can't focus on what the actual news of the story is um and i so and i i'm a person who likes to hear both sides like to know what both sides are thinking so um i occasionally i, I mean i listen to a number of different podcasts that are are run by people that are obviously liberal and so i hear kind of what the mainstream is thinking what the mainstream media is saying and thinking and what the mainstream world and culture is thinking and and i understand that the liberal the liberals are in charge of the mainstream culture so i i understand and see all the time where they're at and what they're thinking but I also purposely listen to Alex Jones's podcast because I like to know what Alex Jones is saying as the complete opposite of all that. And right now, Alex Jones is is under this assumption that what's really going on is the people who control the world are all uh, using uh, the leftist uh, feelings and the liberal feelings and the, and the liberal beliefs the democratic beliefs to take control of everything in the government and in our world so that they can uh take over and turn this into like a communist dictatorship, I guess, where they run everything and the minorities get everything and they kill a bunch of white people. And that's the whole point is they're trying to start a race war, another civil war where they, they get, uh you know, they kill all the white people and they cater to all of the, the liberals and all of the minorities and all this. And, and, and I, and, you know, whether or not that's true is one thing. But I just think it's funny that that's what Alex Jones believes. Because I'm like, why am I? Why should I be afraid of that, Alex? You're, you're, you're telling me, <laughs> you're telling me that uh, white people are really irritated right now and really mad and upset right now because for thousands of years things went their way, and now all of a sudden things aren't going their way for the last. <laughs> 20 years, maybe last 10 years, things all of a sudden aren't going the way of the white man and things are, are, minorities are starting to get their way. Uh, Minority groups are starting to get their way, like gays and like, uh, you know, black people and like women and like Native Americans. And like, they're all starting to get their way now and starting to get more of a voice and a presence in the world. In America, And now all of a sudden white people are upset and worried and uncomfortable and mad. And there's going to be a giant war and all the white people are going to be killed. There's going to be an uprising among the liberal world where they're going to kill all the white people. And you and you want me to feel sorry for you about that. You, you want me to feel bad for you about that. You're telling me <clears throat> that. There's a race of people who've been basically controlling and running the world for thousands of years and destroying and annihilating and raping and killing and pillaging all these uh, minority cultures all over the world for thousands of years. And now all of a sudden the minorities have finally had enough of it and they're going to start a mini uprising and kill a bunch of white people and then accept the white people that are with them. And, And you want me to feel sorry about that? You want me to feel sorry for you about that and to be worried about that? Uh, Like, what? your excuse for all of history has been, well, you know, a stronger society rises up and they they take care of the weaker society. And that's just what happens. We can't we can't feel bad about it. We can't be upset about it. That's just it's just what happens. And and you want me to be mad now because the minorities have finally had enough and they're going to try and take over. I, I don't lose in that situation. You understand that, right? Like, minorities don't lose in that situation. The people who lose in that situation are the closed minded white people who are the most racist and most discriminatory and most closed minded and most judgmental and most backward non progressive people in the United States. You realize that you're trying to, Alex Jones is trying to make this about freedom and liberty and the American way and all this stuff. And, and, I'm, and I'm like, Alex, you, you realize there's no such thing as America. There's no, there's no such thing as American way. The, the American way is racism and discrimination and, and slavery. That's how America was started. That's how America was founded. It was founded on, on, on basically trying to exterminate the people who were actually here. The real true Americans, the real natives of this place, were almost annihilated by the starting of this country by all of the white people who had been running the world for thousands of years. And and, and, and you're trying to tell me that there's some great American way, value that you're trying to protect, that we need to protect, that's liberty, like you're not even Americans. White people aren't even fucking Americans. They're they're the, the products of immigrants who came here and stole this country from who it belonged to and raped and pillaged and killed. That's that's who white people are. So I know my wife is white and I like her and half of me is white and I like that half of me, but like, what? how am I supposed to be upset about this? How am I supposed to be disturbed or scared or worried about this? As far as I'm concerned, this is the reckoning. This is what white people deserve. I, I'm not. I'm not going. Okay. I'm not going to go as far as to say this is what white people deserve. I don't hate white people. I'm just saying that when you, for thousands of years, destroy every other culture that's not white, and then all of a sudden one day, the minorities rise up and start killing you, and will only accept the ones of you who agree with them that they're equal why would I feel bad about that why why should anybody feel bad about that that's what happens when you fuck with a group forever and ever and ever and then finally they rise up and they fucking kill you and only accept the people who feel the same way they do and support their cause that's just life that's what happens that's existence that's the way the world works I don't understand why you're so upset about this alex jones like you act like america is this great thing that is wonderful and awesome and has this very strong stance and is very cares for all people and makes all people equal and and that the liberals are just trying to destroy that by appealing to to making everything equal they're just trying to make everything equal and it's terrible what is your point alex like i i don't understand why is that so bad You think you can just destroy minorities for thousands of years and there's no consequence to it? I understand that you personally aren't racist, Alex. I understand that you just are trying to bring truth to the world and and sometimes you do have truth. Sometimes Alex Jones has stories that are true and I like watching it too because I like seeing when that happens. I like when seeing when the the quote-unquote crazy person is correct, okay? But like, what, you're, this is the, I really love to go on his show or even call and talk to him because I don't understand what, what he thinks is going on. What is this false image he has of this great America that is the greatest country in the world and, it's, and it needs to be saved and preserved? And even though it has a, a, a history of very awful things, it, it stands for something great and wonderful in the world like, like freedom and liberty. Do you realize there's lots of other countries that are free? There's a plenty of other countries that are free. There's there's lots of other countries that are first world countries that are doing well. There's countries that are better than America. I'm not trying to say America is awful. I'm not trying to be you know down on America here. I I'm I'm just telling you facts. America is a good country. It's not an excellent country. There are countries that are excellent that are doing better than us. Financially, educationally, uh, medically, and their people are overall more happy. The happiest place in the world, the happiest people in the world don't live in America. They live in Denmark. The place with the lowest suicide rate is not America. It's another country. Like, America doesn't really lead in anything except for the fact that we have... We're like in the top for like the fattest, most unhealthy people. And we're not in the top for IQ either. I mean, we're not in the lowest, but that's because there's a bunch of third world countries where there is no education basically and people don't know anything that are, they're still primitive. So it's not really saying much. You can't compare us to countries that aren't great like India and then go, see, we're, we're, we're great because we're better than India. Yeah, well, you know... <laughs> A piece of shit is a lot better than a crumpled up, well, I guess, okay. A piece, a crumpled up piece of paper is a lot better than a piece of shit. But it doesn't mean the crumpled up piece of paper is awesome, does it? You know, I I just, I don't understand. I don't understand what Alex Jones is, but America's not some great, awesome institution. It's not some great, awesome empire that's being ruined by liberal values. It's not being ruined by people being more accepting and loving of others. That's, that's not ruining our country. I hate to tell you that, but that, that doesn't ruin any society. Republicans, hardcore conservatives, are not the most open people in the world. I, I would know. I live in an extremely conservative, extremely Republican state. They're not the most open people in the world. But they're not the most accepting people in the world. So I don't don't understand what your point is. I don't understand what Alex Jones's point is. Racism exists, it is a problem. It would be excellent if it didn't. And I don't know why conservatives, uh, Republicans, white people are trying to act as if uh, it doesn't and we don't have a problem. There are certain myths that that the left puts across, like the gender equality or the gender pay gap. That doesn't really exist. We know that that doesn't really exist when we look at the actual statistics, it doesn't take into account the fact that there are certain jobs in the world that men are more prone to take because they're more dangerous jobs or they require a, a stronger physical frame or, or, or things like that. We don't take into account that we just say women get paid less because we've added everything up. Well, there are less women working in the world than there are men. That's partly that drags the stat way down. Um, there are less women in higher paying jobs. That drags the stat down. Um, it's like saying that the lifespan of the average lifespan of people in the eighteen hundreds was like forty five. That doesn't mean that people actually died around forty-five. The reason this it's so low, the average lifespan of being forty-five years, is there were lots of people in the eighteen hundreds that were in their eighties and nineties and shit. It's just that it's just that there were so many because of metal medical technology not being good. There were so many people that died, so many babies that died during childbirth, and those babies were zero years old. That it drags the stat way down, it, like some of the highest paying jobs in the world are the most dangerous jobs where you could die. And women simply don't take those jobs because they're more physically demanding. They're so physically demanding that, uh, the average woman can't handle the physical toll that is needed, the physical qualifications that are needed to, to do the job. So men do them. Uh, it, you know, they're, what about the statistic that way like 10 times more men die at their job than women do 10 times more men uh, get sick from working at their job and are, you know, men are more likely to work sick while women are not. Women take more time off of work on average. Statistically Um, women are automatically prone to take more time off of work because they have the ability to have a baby, which means they need to take time off of work. Men, whereas men can continuously just keep working that. I mean, th- these are, these are all statistics that like you have to take into account. And, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's, you know, you should, you should give a woman less money because she has the ability to ha- she has the automatic ability to have more time off of work. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm saying that from a business standpoint, fiscally, it, it's gonna you're gonna want to pay a man more because he can be there more often just automatically, um, but like there's also lots of situations where there's just not a lot of women in that field and it's not because they're they're women and they're, they're told they're less equal. It's because women generally are not interested in those type of jobs and and that's that's me being truthful and me being honest and I'm doing the same th- I'm being the same way with you white people who are conservative who are Republican. You're not going to understand why it's the name Redskins is racist, and why there can't be shouldn't be a football team named the Redskins. You're not going to understand that, women. I mean, you're not going to understand that white people because it's just not. You're not going to be able to because you're native. You're not Native American, and 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 I just don't. We need to. There is a problem with racism, and it's still the fact. I know, like some of you who are white are saying, "Well, but but there's just more important issues, Joel. There's just other things that are more important that we need to be focusing on in this country right now, like the war with North Korea and blah blah blah." You can say that, but the fact that this that that inequality and racism and sexism have been a problem in our country since it started, um illustrate and it still exists illustrates that why don't we fix the problems that are the longest running first? You know, we, we haven't fixed this problem in 300 years of existence. We, uh, we probably need to fix it by now. Right? Like, I mean, it's just stupid. It's, it's silly that we can't just openly admit that white people can't just openly admit that there's a problem with racism. I mean, Racism exists, it's a real thing, it still is a problem, and it's not great. It's not great. America is is not great. America is good. But America needs to be better. If you really believed in America, you really think America is great, then let's make America great. Not make America great again. Because America hasn't been you know america hasn't been the best we can't make it great again we have to be we have to make america excellent let's make america excellent for the first time how about that not make america great again but make america excellent for the first time let's lead the world in culture and in everything how about that we can't lead the, the world in culture or as a country when there's still people in our country that are discriminated against just because they look different. We can't, I mean, we, how can we even be, how can we even respect ourselves as a country when we're, when every not everybody has the same privileges and abilities in life to do the same things? Like, I, I understand that there's no real, there, equality doesn't really exist. Like it's not a real thing that exists where like, you know, everybody's equal. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where, you know, some kind of thing where we can actually coexist and live in, in harmony and understand that people are different and that's fine. We seem to have a problem with that. And it's not just race. It's discrimination of all kinds. If you're you're fatter, people look at you different. If you're weird, people look at you different. I mean, people look at me different for lots of reasons, not just because I'm a minority. I'm sure people look at me different because I'm weird because I don't say things that they want to hear you know we can't live in a country like that i mean when i was talking to camilla from finland she she was talking about how over there people say something that's over here would be controversial and people over there are like okay let me think about that i mean that's that's the type of society we should we should have where somebody says something and we go okay well let me think about that uh and then they all figure it out That like i just don't it just kills me that we can't be more logical in America. And I, I feel like it's a problem that needs to be fixed. I mean, it's affecting everything. People don't have the ability to just be logical or <sighs> figure out what the actual truth behind something is. Anyway, I, I hope this episode helped somebody and did something for somebody. Um, it was an, uh, unusually honest straightforward podcast which i don't usually do but um you know that was today's episode so um i'll talk to you guys next time i guess anyway uh be better until then be better humans all right just be better people please my god just be better stop it You know, I know we're animals, but my god, stop being animals. In association, to try and do something better. Channel 4.5 Productions presents Assault Assault and Flattery with with Joel Damren. Dear hipster glasses, I see all the black players wear at NBA press conferences, which are ironically also worn by preppy white girls on Facebook. I'll never wear you or let you touch my face or even graze my skin, but it's not because I'm an elitist douchebag, it's because you make your wares look ridiculous.